When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the brand new Tech Sideline podcast. I'm your host here, Ricky LeBlue. I'm the associate editor of TechSideline.com. Uh, we'll go ahead and bring in our guests who will be joining us every week. Uh, we have the founder of TechSideline.com, one of the veterans of the Virginia Tech media industry, Will Stewart. Will, how are you doing today? Doing fine. Am I technically a guest because I live here? I mean, I, I, we'll we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. But I mean, we'll we'll go ahead and call you a guest for now. We also have Chris Coleman, who is the managing editor of TechSilent.com, one of the, also the veterans of the tech industry. Will or Chris, well, how long have you guys been covering tech exactly? Well, I started covering them for Tech Sideline in 2005, but before that, I was covering them for VTTV in 2002. So, if you're looking at my 16th year covering tech. Sports, I guess. Did I do that, man? Well, you've got to at least like be a little, a little bit more than that, at least. Yeah, I started uh, <laughs> started the website in 1996 and started it full time, doing it full time in summer of 1999. So that's 18 years full time and 21, 22 years. You know, of, of starting it up. I don't like to talk about this. <laughs> you're, Good. You're, between yeah. all of us in this room right now, you're basically looking at around 40 years combined experience covering Virginia Tech athletics. Yeah, with me adding to maybe 1% of that. So, we will. <laughs> so basically, folks, what we're going to do is every week, and maybe even more frequently than that once we get started, is we're going to try and, and come to you guys and talk about some really important things going on with the team. Uh, obviously, this week there are some kind of general questions that we've been talking about this entire offseason. Um, so we're going to go ahead and address those. We'll give you the rundown real quick. We're going to talk about the quarterback decision to obviously start Josh Jackson for week one against West Virginia. We'll talk about the wide receiver position and, and maybe some depth concerns that they have there and, and who we think might contribute this year. And then we'll also talk about the defensive line depth and kind of what we see that and who we think can contribute and maybe even as a true freshman. And then we'll wrap it up with some general expectations for the team. So Now we need to lay some ground rules here. Chris and Ricky are the guys that really know their stuff. <laughs> I'm just here for the jokes and for slightly informed opinions. So as long as everybody listening and understands that, we're good to go. Will is playing the lower expectations and over-deliver game over here. I am lowering here. the bar. <laughs> so, all right, so, yeah, let's go ahead and start with Josh Jackson. Obviously, I don't think any three of us were surprised that, that Josh Jackson was named the starting quarterback. Um, so first of all, do, do you guys support the the actual decision, Chris? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I support it. I mean, I was going to support who, whatever decision they made. I mean, the way I look at it is, Josh Jackson almost beat out Gerard Evans last August, and Gerard Evans, you know, broke all of Virginia Tech's passing records this past season. So, if Gerard almost, or excuse me, if 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 Josh Jackson almost beat out Gerard, then Josh is probably, you know, at least a pretty decent quarterback. And he's had a redshirt year. And he's had a redshirt year. And if any of these guys were able to beat out Josh Jackson, that means then they could have competed with Gerard as well. So I, I just, I really feel like that whoever they plug in there at quarterback is going to do fine. Fuente's quarterbacks have always done fine when they, when they've had good, you know, decent wide receiver depth and things like that, which is the biggest issue coming into Definitely. the season. Uh, we'll get to that later, but. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not surprised by the decision, and I support the decision. Well, I think the only thing that surprised me about it, if you want to use the word surprised, is how early he did it. Um, That's something else I want to talk about was the timing of the decision. It was yeah. 11 days, I think 11 calendar days, so I'm not sure how many practices, but it was 11 days prior to when they made the announcement for Gerard Evans. Yeah, and... Um, I guess what Fuente was trying to accomplish there was I think he was I think their issue with AJ Bush you know based on what we hear is that Bush is a phenomenal athlete he just was tending to turn the ball over too much in the passing game I haven't heard a thing about him fumbling uh, yeah when he's running or anything like that seems like it's just an interception issue so, so I think that uh, Fuente worked the the Bush angle as long as he could you know and then probably decided it was best to just pull the trigger and and go with Josh, and then that gives you a couple of weeks of him running with the ones, 
not exclusively because they worked the other guys in, but I think he wanted to kind of just get it established early. One of the interesting things, I think, about Josh Jackson's redshirt year is that for maybe the first four to five games, he was basically the, the backup, whereas if Gerard went down early and it was going to be a significant injury, they were going to play Josh Jackson. I mean, Chris, what kind of... Uh, what kind of benefit do you have by basically preparing as the backup there? That's a great question, and a lot of people haven't looked at it from this point of view. Is that, is that when you're in the two deep for any position, you're in the meeting rooms every week. You're going through the game plan. You you know you're running with either the ones or the twos in practice each week. And uh, you know Fuente said that they're still repping AJ Bush a little bit with the first team now, just because he has to be ready just yeah. in case. Well, that means Josh Jackson was repping with the number ones for for part for some of the early stages of last season and getting ready as if he was going to play in a football game so so while the West Virginia game will, will be the first time Josh Jackson sets foot on a field during an actual game it won't be the first time he's prepped for a game it, it's not going to be he's not going to be your typical redshirt freshman who's who's never gone through that process exactly before. yeah and it, well you touched on it obviously but the timing of the decision was definitely interesting because I think a lot of us, up until right before the decision was made, kind of expected this to drag out at least as long as last year's did. Uh, Will, do you see any any benefit of, of getting this decision kind of done as early as possible? You know, you, you'd have to be in Fuente's head to know that one. I think it gets back to what I said about uh, just getting him to, you know, let, let, let's spitball some ideas here. If you name your starting quarterback earlier, I think that's good for the team as a whole. They know who their guy is going to be. I would agree. As opposed to kind of just not not really sure where to line up their troops, you know. Um, so I think that's part of an advantage to it. Uh, um, other than that, uh, you know, I can only theorize as to why he went with it when he did. I don't think there was any strategic thinking around it. I, I think it took so long last year because it was close. Yeah. And I think it ended early this year because it wasn't. So you don't, you don't <laughs> think it was very close this year. No, I, I'm glad. You know, sometimes you do wish it, it, it was close because that maybe that means your backup is close to being good as your starter. Yeah. But is that good or bad? You, you know, yeah, exactly. Backups, it's kind of a catch-22. Right, yeah. So I don't know. But at any rate, I'm glad it was decided early because it, you know, it gives more time for – Josh and those young receivers to really settle in together, taking you know almost all the snaps with the ones. One of the interesting things about the timing of it was the fact that the the media availability that we had before Josh was announced as the starter, Fuente really seemed to kind of hype up that scrimmage that was that was coming up after that. I believe it was that night after we we did all the interviews. Yeah, it was a Friday interview yeah. session, and they were scrimmaging that night. And, and that Monday is when Jackson got exactly, as a and and he really talked up the importance of that scrimmage. So part of me is is wondering if if Josh was kind of the leader in the clubhouse, but that scrimmage just kind of really really sealed the deal. I, I think that's probably accurate. Uh, Fuente is known as a coach. Or at least so far, in my eyes, he's known as a coach that tries his hardest to put his players in as many game situations yeah. as possible. I mean, he even talked yesterday about having a, a special meeting with the players to go over the markings in, on FedEx Field because the, because they're NFL markings exactly. rather than college markings, and the players have to get used to that. I mean, it's that kind of attention to detail that I think sets Fuente apart from a lot of coaches. And, and when they went into that scrimmage, I'm sure he threw things at them that probably you and me – could not think of, especially we couldn't think of just sitting here talking about it on a show. Uh, I bet they he, he threw things at them that maybe they weren't even expecting, and Josh Jan, Josh Jackson handled that better than the other guys. So I think Jackson was ahead of it going into that scrimmage, but I think probably putting him out there in a game-like situation probably solidified it even more. Definitely. And Will, did you have some ads? So what's different about the markings on the field? You got to get in that a little bit more. I don't. He talked about. He talked. Fuente about, talked about how the the numbers on a college field are placed in different areas, whereas for the NFL, they're they're placed in another area. Yeah, and, and he mentioned how that a lot of or that they they uh, the receivers line up based upon where the numbers are. So they'll move the hash marks since it's a college game. Yes. But they won't move the numerals is what you're saying. I believe that is the case. And they're in different places, and players are using that to sort of figure out. That's yes. interesting. Yes. I, see, I never paid any attention to that. I knew the hash and, marks And neither were did I, exactly. But I never paid any attention to the numbers. It might be interesting to go back and look at the, 
not that I want to watch the Boise State game, <laughs> but uh, you know, some of these uh, games in the past that have been played in NFL stadiums, just to see if we can we can notice the difference. Yeah. So, kind of wrapping up the quarterback discussion here, the future of the quarterback position, at least on paper, looks pretty bright. I mean, you have a redshirt freshman starting at quarterback. You have a true freshman who might be the second or third guy later in the season. We don't know exactly where he is right now. Probably in, in third. Exactly. And then you have Quincy Patterson coming in right as of right now for the class of 2018. Will, how confident are you in the, the future of the quarterback position? Do you think it's going to be a problem for the next four to five years? Uh, you know, I think that's if, if Justin Fuentes coaching your team, that's a position you can count on to be to be good. Um, and he's putting a lot of quarterbacks in the pipeline. I feel good about that. One thing I will say when I hear the name Quincy Patterson, he's gotten a lot of good publicity and hype. Yes, yes, he um, has. He's young. He's still only 16, right? I believe he, he just turned 17 just turned recently. 17. He's getting ready to go into his senior year. Um, I think Tech fans need to understand that that Quincy is um, he's not going to show up and be awesome. I think he'll be physically awesome. We hear he's got a good, strong arm. He's yeah. a big kid. He's smart. I think he's still a little bit longer term of a project, but I think once he starts to reach his max potential, I think he's going to be really good. But to answer your question, I, I feel really good about the quarterback position, and I also think, like any other program, you're going to see a lot of attrition through that quarterback position. Yes. When you got five, four or five QBs in the, in the system at one time, and one guy gets named the starter, you're going to see some movement, you know, and but he gets that, and I point gets that, and I think he can handle it. Yeah, I I wish there was a little more spacing between some of these guys. Josh Jackson is a redshirt freshman. If Hendon Hooker doesn't redshirt, he and Josh Jackson are going to be in the same class. How's that going to work? Yeah, exactly. And then you got Quincy Patterson coming in next year. I mean, even if everybody redshirts, you're just talking about they're a, all going to be a, in successive a, years. In successive years. So I don't. You think Quincy Patterson's going to wait around till his redshirt senior year to start? <laughs> I mean, he's going to have to beat out Hendon Hooker or Josh Jackson or whatever at some point. So, yeah. so there are a lot of question marks for the future, but I think they're good question marks because I think feel like Virginia Tech has three good options there. Yeah, and the the, the model I've always liked is when you have a quarterback who whose eligibility expires, he finishes his career. I always like him when the next guy's a redshirt sophomore. You know. He's been in Third the program, in the program. enough, yeah, and you're going to get three years out of it, you know. That's why I was so excited, you know, last season when Gerard Evans was playing well. I was like, man, this is working out perfectly. <laughs> uh, you know, Josh Jackson's not going to have to start till he's a redshirt sophomore, which man. is when you really want a quarterback to start. And uh, but no, didn't Gerard work out had to way. go ahead and yeah, and and kind of throw a wrench in those plans. Uh, so let's kind of move on from the quarterback position because I think I think we've kind of hashed that out. But as we all know, at least in, in Justin Fuente's offense, the skill position players really, really play a big role. And obviously wide receiver is, is really a huge question mark on this team. You lose Isaiah Ford, you lose Bucky Hodges, who was a wide receiver, let's be honest. Um, Chris, who are some of the, the guys that you're really, really expecting Tech to rely on this year at the wideout spot? I really think Sean Savoy will play a big role in the slot, the true freshman. Obviously, we know Cam Phillips is coming back. Obviously, we know C.J. Carroll will have a role. But but for all the for all the true freshmen, at, you know, in a true wide receiver position, I think Sean Savoy was was and in, in the coaching staff size the top player they signed last year. And it's looking like it so far. I think he shot up the depth chart at slot receiver, even though he's only been enrolled since the summer he was not here in the spring yeah like, like Khalil Pimpleton, Pimpleton had right? what a month and a half two months yeah, on him yeah yeah exactly and 15 practices in the spring but you what you got to remember with Khalil is he played so much quarterback in yeah. in high school and uh you know even though Virginia Tech's offense these days is more simple than the pro style offense they ran in the past it's still it, it's still an adjustment for a high school quarterback to come in and, and play wide receiver you know, just on the on the drop of a hat. I mean, look at Caleb Farley in the spring game. Yeah, he had a big game, but he had a coach on the field with him showing him where to <laughs> Holman line Holman Wiggins was his babysitter. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and Savoy, he was a wide receiver in high school. I think he was more ready from a mental standpoint. And, you know, he's filled out. He's about 185, 190 pounds on a 5'9 frame. So I really think he's going to he's gonna make a, a, a big impact in the slot. And Dalton Keene is going to make a big impact wherever they line him up. I, I, it wouldn't actually shock me if Dalton Keene was the second leading receiver this year. I'm not predicting him to be, but I would not be shocked if, he, if that turned out to be the case. Interesting. 
Will? Yeah, to, to add to that, um, I, I think, you know, Fuente's very quickly going to figure out who, who, who he can rely on and, and who probably needs a little bit more work. He can rely on Cam. If he if he likes what he sees out of Dalton Keene, we know we they like what they've seen out of him in practice. Yeah, If definitely. he shows up in games and and meets those, those same expectations in games, I think he'll become a guy that Fuente can rely on. And then he'll just adjust his offense, you know, that's, and that's about all I can add to that. One of the interesting things I think is that through this, throughout the entire fall camp and even in the spring, even though he was hurt, we all kind of penciled in C.J. Carroll as someone who was experienced and reliable. But even with his experience so far, he doesn't have a lot of significant playing time. He has a little bit, which is enough to be more than the, most of the, the unit. But I'm not so sure that Caleb or that CJ Carroll will be the kind of reliable weapon that people are expecting. Uh, you know, I think he's reliable. I don't. I don't know, like what his ceiling is. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know that he's going to help Virginia Tech this year. Whether that's 40 catches or whether it's 20 catches, I don't know. I mean, he's certainly going to be in that rotation. He caught 18 last year. The the, the thing about CJ is they trust him, and you can always tell if the coaching staff trusts a player, if they let him return punts. Yeah. They let him return punts last year. Uh, You know, he was the number two man behind Greg Stroman. So they put a tremendous – that's a big responsibility. And, you know, he also works as the holder. I think he's going to back up Oscar Bradburn as the the holder this year. Okay. So, uh, you know, they they put a lot of trust in him because those are two positions where – you know, they might not – the holder's never going to win you a game. The holder can lose you a game. In, Very in easily. <laughs> exactly. And so can the punt returner. Yes. So so let me ask you guys, what are you – I think a guy who's important because they're, they're looking for more outside receivers. Mm-hmm. What is the latest thing you hear about Eric Kuma, how you feel about Kuma? You know, how, how's that going to play out? Kuma, to me, uh, is going to be a – an Isaiah Ford type player. I don't think he's going to be uh, as polished as Isaiah. I don't think he'll be he will be as effective as Isaiah. But I do think that he will serve that kind of possession receiver role. Kuma's not going to beat you deep. I, I don't think that he's a guy who can really stretch the field and, and blow the top off of defense. But I think he's going to be great in contested catches. He's got a massive frame. Uh, and I've heard a lot about him being a good guy in those combat catch situations, 50-50 balls. And if he can serve in that role, Tech really needs that because the guys that they had do it last year, Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, are gone. So, Kuma, this is kind of the natural progression. It's time for him to step up. And, and a team that that becomes important against is Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh yes, yes, especially if they play, play the same exact defensive yeah. scheme as they did last year. I think uh, Kuma will be a 30 to 40 catch Isaiah Ford as opposed yes. to 80 catch yes. Isaiah that Ford. Yes, that is, that is, yeah. Uh, I, I think I look at a guy like Phil Patterson, and, you know, Phil's 6'2. I mean, Phil's not a short guy, but I think he's more explosive. Um, you saw him in the spring game with that long catch and run. And I think that's what the offense is going to be built more around this year. Last year, really, outside of the C.J. Carroll catch against Notre Dame, the only guy. The only tech receiver who did anything after a catch last year was Cam Phillips, and even that was later in the season against Arkansas and and against Notre Dame and and Clemson and teams like that. Uh, So I think Cam Phillips can do that, but I I think guys like Sean Savoy, I think a guy like Khalil Pimpleton, um, you know, I think guys like that, they're guys that you try to get them the ball in space. You You try to hit them in stride so they can make a big play after the catch. And as good as Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges were... That was not their game. That was not their game. They, they <laughs> were not Bucky. Yeah, 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 especially yeah. Bucky especially Hodges. Especially Bucky. They, they were not going to break any tackles. They, you know, Bucky ran a good 40, but he never really outrun any, outran he, anybody he in a game. very rarely actually ran 40 yards. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> in a college game. Right, so, uh, so I think this team's going to be a little, a little different from that aspect. And I think that's another reason why Josh Jackson is, is the quarterback. I think he's... He's more reliable on those types of passes as far as hitting guys in stride, which allow them to use their strength, which is running after the catch. So, so something to watch for this season is, as opposed to just beating teams deep down the field, look for the explosive plays to come from the relatively short passes and a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of yards after the catch. If there's anyone on this roster, I think that fits the Caleb Farley mold. I think it is Philip Patterson. Uh, yeah, I would agree. He, with that. he he kind of he kind of fit. He, he's kind of a taller, lankier receiver. But he has that kind of speed and explosiveness that we saw from Caleb Farley in the spring game. Kind of piggybacking off of Caleb Farley, um, 
do, do you see his his injury and his loss being out for the season with a torn ACL that we expect is what it is? Do you see that as kind of a, a, a huge blow to this team, or do you think it's just kind of one of those minor, minor blows? I can't say it's a huge blow because, I mean, the guy had three practices at wide receiver in the spring, and yes, he had a big spring game, but he had a coach on the field showing him where to line up. I mean, this guy is still extremely raw. We don't know how quickly he was going to to take to the wide receiver position. I mean, playing wide receivers is a lot more than just running down the field and catching the football. I mean, you got to be able to identify coverages, run crisp routes. Uh, and, you know, the thing about Caleb, the scouting report on him, you know, when he was down at the Shrine Bowl, it was like, how good are his hands? Because he was always a quarterback in high school. Well, in the, in the practices, some of the practices, or maybe in the Shrine Bowl down in North Carolina, you know, he was dropping some passes down there. And that was the biggest concern coming into the spring is can he catch? Well, he only had three practices. How do you really know if somebody can catch after three practices? So, while I think the lo- his long-term pot- potential is certainly there, it's way too early to sit here and say that he was going to make a big impact, you know, especially as as a true freshman. Because, I mean, Marcus Davis was a very incomplete football player at Virginia Tech. But Marcus Davis made a lot of the same plays we saw Caleb Farley make in the spring game. I mean, the guy made big plays down the field all the time. Incomplete also, is very generous. <laughs> very, very generous. But, but, but you know, he also left a lot of plays on the field because he was a high school quarterback exactly. and a very raw player and just, you know, just never, never developed. So it's far too early to just to pin a lot of hopes on Farley. I think he's going to be good, but it's too early to say that, you know, he's the, he's the next big-time thing out there. Yeah, but the, the thing about, when I think about the, let's call it hype around Caleb Farley, um, you know, and, and it's only increased by the fact that he tore a knee up and he's still a mystery and you don't get to see <laughs> yeah. it. I think there are two things that fed into that. Number one was, when was it that they did the press release about how he was going to play wide that was receiver? That was over the summer, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of strange. It We're is. talking about a true freshman here that they're moving from defensive back to wide receiver in spring practice. Um, so actually, I'm getting my my things out of order. You saw him in the spring game make two or three nice catches, and everybody kind of assumed that he was going to move to wide out. Yeah, and then they do a. It's not like we were having media sessions and and pelting Fuente with questions about what Caleb Farley it just was came do. out of the blue. And then there's this weird press release in the middle of the summer about how he's going to stick at wide receiver. When you do a press release about a true freshman, whether whether a fan sits there and realizes, oh, he must be good, that that's the effect it has. And it wasn't Devin Hunter, which if there was any freshman yeah, on the roster I mean, that we would they expect. Did, Devin Hunter's like, how a about press, a press release, release that says Devin isn't going to play uh, free safety for us. He's going to play <laughs> Rover for <laughs> well, us. That, that, here's your example. They didn't do a press release when Divine Diablo switched from wide receiver to free safety yes. in the offseason. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's so that true. I think that's part of the mythology yeah. of, of Caleb Farley. It's just those two things. Do you think that he would have played this year if yes. if he hadn't got hurt? Oh, I I think he would have. I mean, I think in a year where you just don't have that as many proven options out there, and he's a big play waiting to happen. I mean, even as a raw player, even if he went out there and made mistakes fifty percent of the times, he's he's a play away from winning a football game for for you. So so they would have put him on the field this year. There's no question. How much I don't know, but he yeah, would have had a role. That's the important question is if he did see the field, what kind of role would he have? Um, one of the things I also want to talk about and I thought was really interesting was it, it, throughout these recent media sessions with, with Coach Fuente and others, we've kind of gotten an idea of, of just how simple this offensive scheme can be. And one of the things that uh, offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson and Fuente have talked about is simplifying the wide receiver position. You guys obviously have a great institutional knowledge of, of tech, Chris, in your in your experience, in what ways has Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson really simplified the wide receiver spot compared to maybe the offenses under Scott Leffler or Brian Steinspring? Well, you know, you have your your wide receivers have fewer options now. I mean, in the past they had to line up, they had to read the defense. So you have your pre snap read. You're reading is the guy is the outside linebacker blitzing? Well, if he's blitzing, maybe the then you're running a you're running a slant pattern. In, in that vacated area. But if that cornerback is got his inside leverage on you, maybe you're not running a slant. Maybe you're running an out. Oh, but where's the safety lineup? There was so much that that you had to think about before before the ball was even snapped. And then at the ball is actually snapped, and they might show you something completely different that, that from their pre-snap look. So your head is spinning. Which route do you run based on all this stuff? 
and you also have to be on the same page as your quarterback at the same time. So I mean, it's it was a, it was it was too complicated in an an offense, and that's why you'd see year after year, you know, with that October tenth taping of Tech Talk Live when the <laughs> offense is struggling, you'd see Steinspringer be or Frank Beamer get on there and say, "Well, we're going to scale some things back offensively. Uh, we're probably a little too we probably started off a little too complicated, and then boom, the offense would be a much better for the second half of the season." Fuente's offense, you know, it doesn't ask receivers to do all that. Um, uh, it's it simplifies their reads. It simplifies the quarterback's reads. And uh, he talked about it the other day. He said, you know, we were in a year at Memphis or TCU where we had to play a lot of young guys, and the only way we could play a lot of young guys is is if we simplified things. And they did that, and they've been doing it ever since. And, and they're probably doing it this year, uh, which is why I wanted to bring it up they're, because they're going to have so many young players in the program who. Are either first or second year players in the program. You can't expect those young players to be able to come out there and and execute that kind of offense. Uh, you know, I go back to 2008 and, and Dyrell Roberts. Dyrell was was one of the top five recruits in the state of Virginia. Dyrell was a great athlete. Dyrell was a high school running back who had never run a route <laughs> in his entire life. Who probably didn't even know what a route tree was until he got to college. And then he had to he had to come in there and learn on the fly as a true freshman, starting as a true freshman, a, a pro-style passing game route tree. Well, by four or five weeks into the season, Jared Boykin, who was a much lower-rated recruit, but who played wide receiver in high school, passed him yeah. Passed him on the depth chart and was a, you know turned out to be a better player than Dyrell. A much better player, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Dyrell had a lot of injuries, don't get, me, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I just think for a guy like Dyrell, it was too complicated for a guy who just was not used to playing receiver. So you get a guy like Caleb Farley would not have been able to play as a true freshman in that offense. So, so Ricky and Chris, let me ask you a question, and I'll give you a quote along the way. If he's simplifying the offense, then the question is how can he make it effective, um, get good numbers out of it? And it reminds me of a quote that one of our guys wrote – probably Raleigh Hokie wrote years ago where he said something to the effect of the best offenses either run a lot of plays out of a few formations or they run a few plays out of a lot of formations. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're dialing your offense back for your, for your young guys, how do you make it effective? How do you, how do you progress against a defense that uh, you know has, has watched a lot of film on? A few plays out of a lot of formations, I, I think, is probably the best way to, to go about it. I mean, it's much easier to memorize a formation that, than it is a whole bunch of different plays, yeah. at least if you're a young player. Uh, I, 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 I think, to me, from a, from a schematic standpoint, you know, you, you, can, you can run the same play out of, out of a bunch of different formations, but let's say you want to run a specific play out of a, a specific running play out of a four wide shotgun and pretty much the same running play out of a two wide shotgun with an H back as a lead blocker. You know, it one looks like a running formation. The other looks like a passing formation, but you're running a, a, a running play out of it, out of either one. So, you know, and I think you can, uh, you can maybe try to show some teams some tendencies out of one formation, and then two weeks later you change your tendencies. Um, so there's a lot of different things you can do, I think. And uh, it's it's, it's kind of weird to me, and I don't mean this as any disrespect for anybody else who coached at Virginia Tech, but I'm still getting used to watching a competent offense on a week-to-week basis. I bet I'm sure I'll be able to answer your question a lot better two years from now than I can right now. Yeah, we've only seen one one season's worth, and that season was tailored to the players that Justin Fuente had at the time. I think he figured, you know, obviously you had you had Isaiah Ford you could rely on and, and, and Bucky and Cam. Didn't have a great running game from the tailback position, and you had a quarterback who by, by all accounts was not a good quote-unquote quarterback great competitor good runner and a good thrower guy good mm-hmm. thrower you yeah know? so he adjusted to that so i think i think you're right i think you're gonna have to see fuente for two three four five years and kind of see him with all different sets of players uh, skills and experience levels one thing i'm interested to see and kind of to answer your question at least from my end will is that i think you we saw it last year is a lot of misdirection is another thing that you mm-hmm. can use too is that if, if you're going to have very simple and, and, and not a diverse route tree, one of the best ways to keep guys on their toes is to keep showing them you know, misdirection and different looks. 
And I think we saw that a ton last year where you would see a guy motion from the H-back or tight end position to another side of the play, and then the play is going to where he motioned from. And then they would run that same formation, the motion again, and they run it going to where he's going. Mm -hmm. And that kind of misdirection, I think, can really help if you are running a a very simple, uh, uh, small route tree. Yeah, it's all about spreading the defense out and and getting players isolated or just getting them into blank spots where the defense has made a mistake and and putting guys in position to make plays. And this tech offense relies so much on perimeter plays. You hear hear Cornelson talk about it a lot, about getting guys to the perimeter. And your best offenses are able to attack defenses horizontally and vertically. And that stretches them in all areas of the field. Across the field, up and down the field, and everything. And, you know, that's that's what Virginia Tech wants to do. They couldn't do it vertically as much last year. I actually think they'll be able to do it vertically a little better this year because, you know, Gerard wasn't wasn't the best deep ball thrower as far as, as, accuracy. Far as accuracy. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, you're not going to have a 60-yard touchdown pass with Isaiah Ford or Bucky Hodges as far as it's not going to be like an Andre Davis. Unless it's a blown coverage. Unless it's a blown coverage <laughs> where they just beat somebody in the air. Uh, but you're more likely to see Phil Patterson five yards behind a defensive back and see Josh Jackson hit him stride, hit him in stride and then run a further 30 yards yeah. for a touchdown. Yeah. Let's kind of move to the, to the defensive side of the ball. Um, one of the biggest questions, obviously I think we're all pretty – uh, confident in Tech's defensive backfield. The secondary looks good. I think the linebackers, I think we're relatively confident there. But the defensive line is, is definitely a bit of a question mark. Uh, we obviously know the the depth concerns, but we also know that the starting four has some experience and there's a lot of talent there. Will, how good do you think the first four, just, just speaking on them, the first four will be this year? It's... And obviously we're talking about Trayvon Hill, Vinny Mahota at end, and then Ricky Walker and Tim Settle at, at tackle. What, what are you expecting from those guys this year? Yeah, that that's a good question, and I'm going to answer it. You know, I don't really know. Um, is Tim Settle ready to play 40 or 50 plays a game instead of 25? I think that's a huge question this year. Yeah. You know, Tim came a long way physically last year, and I don't, I don't have a feel yet for him. Uh, and by last year, I mean from his true – Tim's a – Richard sophomore. Yes, he's a Richard sophomore this year. From from true freshman to Richard freshman, you could see the physical improvement. Um, he dropped, I think, thirty plus pounds. Yeah, he dropped a lot of weight and he put some put some dropped a lot of fat and put some muscle on. Uh, how you know? We're, we're still looking for Tim to. Uh, he's he's. I, th- I think he's always been a good athlete. Is he more powerful now? You know, he's got good burst. And he's a good athlete, but. Is the, is the strength there now almost I'm looking for some Warren Sapp like stuff where he just pushes a guy off the ball um, and the other thing is it, I just keep thinking of Vinny Mahota Vinny had no shoulders by the end of the year man, you know? and, <laughs> we've talked about that a lot in the office it, how against Clemson he was just he was he, he was holding guy with and one arm and then, then batting down the passes with carry, another I've never seen a player carried <laughs> off the bill after after batting down a pass <laughs> I mean that's just how that's how banged up the guy is yeah. it's, a, it's a credit to his toughness that he was able to play through that and, and last year both and you should mention that Vinny Mahota and Trayvon, Trayvon Hill were both playing with it, only one arm so was Max. Kind of and, exactly. And, and yeah. One of the things I remember about last year was, and, and on another radio show, Chris and I talked about this. I remember watching the the battle at Bristol, and Akanem looked really sharp, and and he just looked really fresh and athletic. And by the end of the year, no, he was he knew where to position himself, but he had no burst and he had no strength left, you know. And and so I think people keep asking what's going to happen in the West Virginia game. I think our uh, I think Virginia Tech's defense is going to be really good in the West Virginia game. And you just get later in the year where the shoulders and knees and hamstrings and things like that start to go. Shoulder seems like the injury of choice for Virginia Tech, doesn't it? Yeah. It was certainly was last year, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially along the defensive line. So, 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 so kind of going back to the first four, we obviously know that Vinny Mahota will start at defensive end, but – as we've kind of progressed through the offseason, we've heard more and more about Vinny possibly moving inside. We know that the coaches have talked about it. Chris, can he be effective as as a defensive tackle in certain situations? Yeah, I definitely think he can. I mean, he's 265 pounds, and a lot of people are, are worried about you know that, that size playing on the inside. I'm worried about it more because of his shoulders. He's, he's always had shoulder problems, and if you're a defensive tackle, you're getting blocked in both shoulders, not just one shoulder. As like you are a defensive end, but yeah, he could play in there. 
Uh, and I'm not wouldn't I wouldn't worry about its size either because these days, the you know teams spread you out so much, and even playing defensive tackle these days, so much of it is about running sideways to sideways, chasing plays down the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, and, you know, Bud Foster won't just line him up in there and have him do the same thing over and over. There will be twists and stunts and, and things like that to, to take pressure off him. Um, so, yeah, I think he can help Virginia Tech in there. I hope it doesn't come to that because I would prefer to have him at defensive end in this stage of his career. I mean, the guy was all, was about 290 pounds when he was a redshirt freshman. He was a big that. boy. He was a big boy. And now he's 265, uh, and he's, he's steadily lost weight. If they wanted him to actually play defensive tackle, he wouldn't have lost that weight. So they're yeah. not going to move him in there unless they unless they get in the middle of the season and, and those backup defensive tackles just aren't progressing. But what could also be a function of that is is your backup defensive ends. Um, the the praise they've been giving Emmanuel Belmar. How, what is Belmar's size? Do you guys know off the Six top two, of 6'2", 240. He, he, yeah, he, he is up to 240. He was originally around 220 to 215. But he's up to about 240 now. So it's not just an issue of are your backup defensive tackles play well enough or do we need to slide Vinny to the inside. It may also be how well are your backup mm-hmm. defensive ends playing. Can we give them more time on the field? I do think that was a question that they wanted to answer because they did mention that moving Vinny inside would not only depend on the defensive tackle development but also the development of those defensive ends, guys like Belmar and Houshin Gaines and maybe even Zion DeBose and, and Taiwan Garbett. Kind of going now to to the younger guys. Uh, we'll, we'll, let's let's start at defensive end. Do you think we'll see any true freshman play this year? Because the more and more that we get closer to the to the beginning of the season, I'm not hearing anything about about freshmen playing. Do you think we'll see any? I, I haven't heard now. Now we thought Dubose would play this I year. Exactly. I thought Dubose would play, and I thought Porsche would play at defensive tackle. It doesn't sound like either one of them are going to play. So that means that they're either not. And the, and the coaching staff, I heard, thought those guys were going to help him this year too. So those guys either either aren't quite as far along as, as they thought they would be, or maybe the backups are a little further along than, than we thought they would be, in which case that would be a good thing. I don't know what it is at, at this point. Uh, you, you know, and I talking about Mahota, the reason he was – if he's able to move inside, it is because the backup defensive ends are much better. I mean, 1999 when John Engelberger moves inside a defensive tackle, it's because the backup defensive ends were Chris, Chris Iris and Darius Monroe, yeah, who were, tech, who were tech very was, good players. Tech was eight deep on the defensive yeah. line back then, and, and there wasn't a drop-off. There was not – there wasn't. Well, there's always a drop-off There's off a drop-off from Corey Moore. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, those backup linemen could come in and you really wouldn't miss a beat. Yeah, uh, I mean, you could just keep putting pressure on the quarterback. Uh that's what you want to have, and that's that's why I'm hesitant to say that this defense is going to be elite because every single one of Bud Foster's elite defenses in the past have gone eight deep on the defensive line, sometimes even deeper, particularly a defensive tackle. I think they I think get I think they can get by with what they have at defensive end this year. Defensive tackle concerns me. Those guys get beat up so often because because like you mentioned, you're getting hit from all sides. It it, it would be. Shocking if they didn't have some sort of injury problem at defensive tackle, just because that seems like it's a bit of the norm. Um, do you see a guy? Do, do you see guys like maybe Darius Fullwood being able to contribute this year? Or do you think? Because the, the the most recent news that we've heard is that Jared Hewitt seems like the clear cut third defensive mm-hmm. tackle now, but then the fourth spot is a bit of a mix between Jimmy Taylor, who played defensive end last year, I believe, mm-hmm. and has seen has since moved inside. Uh, Xavier Burke, who's played just about every position, it seems like, at Virginia Tech now, and he's healthy. And then we have Darius Fullwood. Which of those three guys do you expect to, to kind of become that fourth tackle? I think it's Jimmy Taylor right now, the way it sounds like. I think he, you know, Virginia Tech like defensive tackles who can get in the backfield. Pe- quick penetration. Gap, yeah, who have twitch, as Charlie Wiles likes to put it. And I've never viewed Fullwood as a guy who had that twitch. I've always, uh, you know, I thought he was a good player, but I, I, I always, I didn't think he was necessarily a great fit for Virginia Tech's scheme because he didn't seem like one of those explosive defensive linemen. He seemed more like a block occupier than a guy who gets penetration and makes plays in the backfield. So I think it's Jimmy Taylor right now. Uh, you know Xavier Burke is interesting, and he's a guy who was a tight end last year, and he is up to two eighty, so he, he has good size. And but he, and you know, he, he, I think he was he was a defensive end in the spring, so this yes, is, he this was is his first time playing defensive tackle. I, I 
I don't put a lot of trust. I, I actually think the further along it goes, I think the gap between Jimmy Taylor and those guys will separate. Just based on what Virginia Tech looks for their defensive tackles to be able to do, I think that that, that gap is, is not going to get any more narrow than it is right now. And, and we do have to keep in mind that Jimmy Taylor was going to play basically all season last year until he got hurt against mm-hmm. Tennessee. He did play against Liberty. He played against Tennessee, of course, in limited roles. But they obviously trusted him enough to play as a freshman, so they obviously like what what his talent is there. Yeah, and then something happened to him in the off season, and it seemed like he got out of favor. And you know, they were talking about moving him to defensive tackle in the spring when he was two hundred forty pounds. Yeah, and, and coming off that injury that forced him to redshirt last year, uh, he got, he's up to two fifty six now, and I, and I, he's doing better than than people thought. Um, he seems a little bit like a Demetrius Taylor type to me. Uh, remember Demetrius Taylor who oh, yeah. enrolled at Tech as a linebacker? Yeah. Couldn't couldn't really pick up linebacker, and then they moved him to defensive end, and eventually they moved him inside to, to defensive tackle. And I think Demetrius ended up getting up to around 275 pounds, but he enrolled at Tech as a linebacker, so he didn't have, he couldn't really support more than 275 <laughs> pounds on his yeah. frame. I'm not sure, sure Jimmy Taylor will be able to support more than 265 or so on on his frame, but I do think he'll be able to give some give Tech some things as far as twitch and things like that. I think he'll be able to come in and make some plays. I I don't know how many plays. I don't know if ideally you want to play him more than twenty plays a game or something like that. But it goes back to your question about Tim Settle. How many plays can Tim Settle play? You Tim, might not have a choice. Tim Settle's endurance, I think, will be a big key because they really need him to play anywhere from 65 to 75 percent of the snaps at defensive tackle and at his size and we know that he's had conditioning problems before especially last season coming off the bench that's I mean that's a huge question and you don't want to have to play guys like Jared Hewitt or Jimmy Taylor or Darius Fullwood or Xavier Burke 30 plus plays I think Hewitt is is I think he started off a little slow he was a 299 pounds last year when he enrolled He's 285 now, and I think the weight loss has helped him. Um, I think it's made him quick, quicker, twitchier. There's that word. How uh, how important is size at, at defensive tackle for Tech? Is it is it really necessary? Because it seems like they do have some I mean, undersized options there. I, I think you can't be tall and light. Yeah, yeah. As long as as long as you're, even if you're not a a, a big guy. You know, Tech has played. Corey Marshall played defensive tackle at Tech as a true freshman. He was 256 pounds. But Corey Marshall was six feet, six one, something like that. You can't be six three, six four in that light and right. play it. You, you have know, to have some you, some some low mass. Yeah, some lower yeah. mass. Yeah. Demetrius Taylor was six, was one or six, six foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, Jimmy Taylor is uh is listed at what six two. But he's probably somewhere six, around six there. Six yeah, one. he's probably six one. Yeah, yeah. Most so, most guys are inflated on their heights. You're right. Um, yeah, he's so, listed at six two. You're right. Yeah. So I, th- I think uh, I think it's a it's a leverage type deal. I, I think it's uh, where's your center of gravity? Um, and that's the other thing about Fullwood is you just don't see six four defensive tackles at Virginia Tech. Will, do you remember the last? Remember the last good 6'4 defensive tackle that, that Virginia Tech had? Oh, man, this was a long time ago. How tall was Jim Davis? And Jim Davis, Jim Davis was, I think his senior year was listed at 6'3". Yeah. And he, but he was a defensive end bef- his first four years That's in the right. program. He did yeah. not move to defensive tackle until his senior year. I think you got to go all the way back to Chad Beasley, who was 6'5". Yeah, I mean, you always remember the players better than I do, but... Um, what year would that have been? Chad Beasley. Late 90s. Chad right. Beasley was uh, 98 through 2001. Okay. Yeah, do you remember how tall David Pugh was the same time frame? You Pugh, Pugh was 6'1". Really? Yeah, wow. 6'1", 275 thereabouts. Yeah. By the way, to go back a little bit in the conversation, Hewitt is listed at 6'1", 285. Mm-hmm. I can totally see where he'd be more effective at that weight than 299. Sure. Definitely. Let's kind of move on to the, the entire team now as, as a whole. Obviously... This is the second season under Justin Fuente. They they have some big expectations to fill from last year. But I think most reasonable people understand that there could be a bit of a step backwards this year just because you you are playing so many young players, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Will, give me give me someone or, or a, a group of guys or a specific player who will be the biggest surprise this year, someone that you're expecting to maybe have a breakout season. 
I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I'm I'm really pumped about seeing Dalton Keene play based on what we've heard. And I and I really not not to go there conversationally or mentally, but I really hope he can stay healthy and doesn't get hurt or something like that. Um, that's a guy I'm excited to see play. Um, who, if he is healthy and effective, and the stuff we've been hearing about him is true about how he is in practice, he could be a difference maker because of the position he plays. You know, so that's guy. I'm Justin Fuente to. has said that the, the two of the most important positions in his offense are quarterback. An H back, and 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 he will, he will be have to be the starting H back this year. Yeah, because he'll be a matchup problem for linebackers and and cornerbacks, faster than linebackers, you know, bigger than cornerbacks. Definitely, I mean, it would not shock me at all if we see Dalton King kind of play that Bucky Hodges role where he lines up outside. Chris, go ahead and give me your 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 kind of big surprise this year. Uh, I'll go Reggie Floyd, and and I'll and I would consider him a surprise because everybody wants to talk about Devin, Devin Hunter. Yeah, nobody ever talks about Reggie. Nobody ever talks about Reggie, and Re- Reggie was a was a good recruit coming out of high school. I thought um, he was a big guy, physically ready to play right away. Uh, I I don't know quite how he'll be in coverage yet. But I think he'll be excellent around the line of scrimmage. I would not, I would not be surprised if eventually Reggie Floyd moves Devin Hunter to free safety. Yeah, and actually, I think Devin is probably a better fit for free safety than he, he is Rover. He's, he's a better fit for free safety than Reggie Floyd. Yes, you want, he is. You want to get your best five players on the field in the secondary, and I, and I think Reggie's one of those guys who could probably only play the Rover spot. Uh, whereas Devin's a guy who could probably play any spot if you really Reggie need is kind to. of a a bigger line. He's kind of a, a smaller linebacker. So like oh Tech is if, a much smaller linebacker. Oh I know Floyd. yeah, but I mean <laughs> if if Tech was playing their old four three defense, do you think Reggie would be kind of that whip spot, or or, or do you think that he's really just a great fit for for so, for Rover? I, I, yeah, for for listeners, Reggie's listed at six zero two eight two eighteen. But I, he I, looks bigger. I, he looks a little bit bigger than two eighteen. I, I think if you if you go. If if you look at your Virginia Tech defense starting in two thousand four, uh, I think he's definitely a rover. He's on the short side of the field, up around the line of scrimmage a lot. Pre two thousand four, I, I think it was kind of reversed. The whip was on the short side of the field, and the rover could be on the wide side. It was a little different. So I'm, I'm not sure about back then, but but I I think I think he would have been a rover uh, certainly in any time period since two thousand four. All right. Um... For I guess my biggest surprise this year is I, I'm actually going to go with the running backs. I, I don't think a lot of people are expecting much out of the running back group this year. Uh, I have heard some. I think we've all heard some good things about the running back group this year. Uh, I, I'm something tells me that Trayvon McMillan might be able to put it together a little bit this year. I know that last year fans were extremely disappointed with his lack of carries, but as as the three of us know, and probably a lot more people listening right now. In Justin Fuentes' offense, you have to be more than just a ball carrier. And I think that Trayvon McMillan is going to grow in that area, and I would not be surprised to see him maybe get up to that seven or 800-yard number, which last year he came nowhere close to. Uh, Chris, go ahead and give me someone who you think is an X factor for this team, someone who, if they have a good season and they play well, this team can succeed. Yeah, you know, it's it's easy to say Josh Jackson or some of the wide receivers. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll – I'll say Deshaun McLeese. I mean, okay. McMillan better be ready. He better do what you just said because he's got McLeese uh, breathing down yes. his neck. Yes, and he's and Ma- got Jalen Holston, and, and right. he's got Stephen Peoples. And, and McLeese might be a little bit better fit for the offense from his skill set for some of the things Fuente li- likes to do. Like In particular, we hear that he's good in a lot of the option plays, and he's popped some big plays out of those this year. So, uh, in general, whatever running back we pick – or if the running game is strong this year, then I think that eases a lot of pressure on the quarterback, on, on the wide receivers. Uh, and, I, and I think it will be. I mean, if you think about it last year, Virginia Tech's second leading rusher, as far as the just the running backs go, was, was Sam Rogers. And everybody loves Sam. Sam was a, was a very good blocker, great in the passing game, great leader. But he wasn't really a, a running back guy. Yeah, you, you know he's not. Gonna he was have, a guy who knew how to play the position. Exactly. Uh, and then you know Marshawn Williams, I think, was your third leading ball carrier, and he uh, he was basically playing on one leg. So I, I think the running back position is going to be much stronger than it was last year. And since there is a strength to the offensive line, the left hand side, uh, you know, I have to I have a pretty good feeling about the running game. Will my X factor is right guard. 
I, right I'm, I'm going to say right guard and right tackle, yeah. yeah. I, I think both of those positions are extremely, extremely important just because as good as things that we've heard about Tyrell Smith, he still doesn't have any experience. Right guard, it seems like whoever plays there has a big injury history. So no matter who is going to play right guard, you, you need those guys to stay healthy because even though you have a little bit of depth there, it's it's all depth that has been riddled with injuries. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And here's the thing. Whoever wins that right guard spot, whether it's Kyle Chung, Braxton Pfaff, Parker Osterloh, all those guys have had injury histories at Virginia Tech. You're going to need more than one guy at that position, in my opinion. All of their careers up to this point indicate that none of them are going to stay healthy for exactly. the entire yeah, season. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So that might actually turn out to be a platoon spot in Virginia Tech's offense this season. Real quick, do you see any kind of negatives with having that kind of rotation at right guard? I don't, I don't think so. I, I think Just because you do have guys who are a bit different. Chung's a bit more athletic Braxton Pfaff might be a bit more balanced and obviously Parker Osterlo would be one of the biggest guards we've probably ever seen in tech history yeah and you know any one of those guys could do well on any given week depending the math depending on the matchup certain players can block a certain other type of player better you yeah know, like Tyrell Smith you know I don't know if he'll do well against big strong defensive ends this year but I think he'll do well against quick pass rushing defensive yeah. ends and you know it could be kind of the same thing there but I think a, a platoon, you know, not only is it likely to happen, but it, it, early in the season it could it could help the coaches learn more about each of those individual players. They can say, man, okay, Braxton Pfaff really looks like he can block against this type, but he can't really block this type well. So when we play this team later and they've got defensive tackles that he doesn't block very well against, maybe that's the day we play Kyle Chung. So we're going to learn more about these guys as, as we go throughout the course of the season. Chris, go ahead and give me your season record prediction teams that you think Virginia Tech might lose to or, or, or stretches of the season where they might struggle. Go ahead and give me a, a prediction real quick. You know, they went 10-4 and four last year, and they lost to Syracuse. They had yeah. a lot of big wins and lost to Syracuse. I, I, you know, they, they can beat Clemson. They can beat West Virginia. Uh, they can lose to Georgia Tech. I mean, they're not going to lose to Virginia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we can all we can mark that down. they're not going to lose to Delaware. And... I think it's highly, highly unlikely they lose to East Carolina. And, yeah. and they're not going to lose to Old to Old Dominion. But any of, the, of those other games in there, they're, they could win any of them. They could lose any of them. I, I think if I was – a Las Vegas bookie, and I had to set the over/under on wins. I would put it at eight point five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, what that's I was a solid number. Say. Yeah, yeah, eight point five, and I'm inclined to go over and go nine and three. But you could talk me into eight and four also. Well, you know, last year they laid two eggs, right? Georgia Tech and Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to go nine and three, you can only afford to lay one egg. You know, you're and, playing and Clemson then, this year, and then you got to be pretty effective in the rest of your games. There's, there's that. I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm looking at that stretch where they play Carolina and Duke at home, and then the next three games are at Miami, at Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh, and that's that's a that's a. I mean, that stretch could probably decide. That's a tail of your season. How how they finish in the coastal. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what's your prediction? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what's your? <laughs> we need some numbers. The Will. whole point of the over and under being eight and a half. <laughs> like, I don't know. We're either going to go eight and four or nine and three. You well, you, you can't push eight and a half, so you got to pick one. <laughs> um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with nine to to be optimistic, and just because uh, I, I just really think this is a really good coaching staff. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to take them time to get all the talent that they they want and need. That's that's a process. But we sit around the office and talk all the time about how sharp an offensive mind Fuente and Cornelson is, are, yes. Bud Foster defensively, and Shebus. Shebus is not underrated as a, as a special teams coach. He's underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I would agree know? with that. And so, you know, if, if, if you really want to put your money on the table and, and you're looking at the over-under, then you want to rely on your coaches to get you to the over, which would be nine. Um, yep. And, of course, you know, if, if injuries start to take their toll, that, that's when everything goes out the window and you're not sure what's going to happen. I think one one thing people like to point out for, about Virginia Tech is, oh, they lost their quarterback. They lost their top receivers. Well, 
Pitt lost their quarterback. They lost their star running. Miami game. has to replace a quarterback. Miami, their quarterback. UNC, Carolina UNC has UNC to replace got UNC got gutted. I mean, everybody in the Coastal Division is in the same boat here. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Virginia Tech's story is unique. Throw it around the other side of division. It's the reason why I think most people pick Florida State to win the Atlantic this year. Clemson lost their quarterback. They lost their running back and two of their top three. Also or four lost their starting linebacker, Ben Bowler. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, yeah, if Florida State can keep Francois from getting killed. Yeah. Because <laughs> he did get killed yeah, last year. Yeah, you know, he, he was just uh, – now, now I, I don't – you know, I didn't sit there and watch every one of their games, but I did rewatch – what was the first game they had last year? Um, that Florida State played last year. Was Ole that Miss. Ole Miss? Ole Miss. Ole Miss, you know. And, and, in Orlando. And didn't they get way down? Yeah, and they had to yeah. come back. And, and Francois it, was getting beat to death, mm-hmm. and he was really tough that night, you know. So I've got a lot of respect for him as a football player. and I th- So I totally get why they're picking Florida State to win, win the Atlantic and win the win the ACC. I was actually contrarian at ACC Media Day. I picked DeAndre Francois as ACC's Player of the Year over Lamar Jackson, but I'll probably be wrong on that. Uh, my season pr- record prediction, I'm going to go 9-3 and three as well. I think we're all in agreement there. Uh, I have losses to Clemson. I have a loss to Georgia Tech, which I think is is, is understandable because that is a tough stretch. I also have the, a loss to Duke at home, and I think that that's just because I, I think it's reasonable to expect uh, at least one clunker for, uh, this season from Virginia Tech. You've got so many young players. It would not shock me at all if there's a game like Duke or, or, or maybe even UNC at home where coming into the game we think they should win. I don't see the clunker against UNC, though. But then again, I wouldn't have seen it against Georgia Tech last year. The thing either. with Duke is that they have a really good quarterback who's young, and he's a mobile guy, and I think that could be kind of the the kryptonite almost for a Tech team, especially if they come out flat, which you know we obviously saw against Georgia Tech and Syracuse. Tech isn't going to come out flat against UNC. I mean, right. th- there's enough few, uh, players from the there's state definitely of a little bit of a rivalry roster. going on there yeah, now, yeah, especially. Yeah. And also, I think it kind of extends to. Maybe the coaching staff a little bit to, to the, they get extra excited for that game. Yeah, yeah. they all respect Duke and Duke's coaching staff. I exactly. Know, I don't know how much they, <laughs> they they might sort of respect North Carolina's coaching staff in their own way, but I they probably they don't necessarily like them. Like them. Yeah. So are, are are we all expecting Virginia Tech to win the Coastal? I, 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 not when I, you're yeah. five and three. Well, I, I, you got them losing three games in the ACC. Yeah, but I'm not sure Miami's going to to do all that much either. Okay, so you're saying Miami might go five and three also. Yes. but Tech wins the yeah wins the head to head. See, the thing is, it, it could be it, one of those years where it's kind of that vicious cycle where everybody keeps beating each other. Well, the thing is, I don't think there will be two five and three. If there might be three five and three teams or something like that, um, if they go nine and three, the thing is, I think they're going to beat West Virginia. So if so I, if, I. If, I, if I'm picking them, if I'm picking them to lose three games, then I'm basically saying it's all ACC games. There's going to be three ACC games, which in case it would have to come down to tiebreakers, and they'd have probably have to win a road game at Miami. They're they're going to have to win that game against a defense that is stacked. I mean, Miami's defense is good this year. They started those three true freshmen linebacker last year and finished. They actually finished ahead of Virginia Tech in defensive efficiency last year. I mean, they they are they are good, and I, I'm I don't I don't think they're going to win the coastal. I think they very well could. I, th- I think they have a, they have a great chance to. But as of right now, but, you'd but, lean towards Miami. Well, it's it's not that I'm leaning towards Miami. I mean, it's I'm really thinking more of a Virginia Tech versus the field, and I'm I would take the field. Okay, well, to kind of wrap things up here. Yeah, that's. Uh... I also think they're going to beat West Virginia. So he brings up a good point. If I'm picking nine and three, I'm picking them to lose three ACC games. What benefited them last year was, uh, let's see, one of the losses was to Syracuse in the Atlantic. And help me out, what was the other Georgia one? Georgia Tech. Georgia, Georgia Tech at Tech. home. Yeah. Um, if they lose this year to Clemson, that's from the Atlantic. And I'm not going to pick them to lose to BC. Wow, it's – I really don't want to sit here and say that I don't see them winning the Coastal, but I, I get I get what Chris is saying. If there's any year where uh, a, a team can win the Coastal with three losses, I think it might be this year just because, like you mentioned, Chris, most of the, the Coastal is trying to return, is trying to get guys to replace stars. And, and, and not just starters, but actual stars on their team. So Yeah. I, I still think... 
the only time I can remember winning the Coastal with a five and three record was was that two thousand eight two thousand eight and we t- I think we tied Tech tied for it that year right there were two or three teams that were five there, there were five five and three yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing is I, I think the Coastal despite its flaws heading into the season. I think I think the ACC is a much better league than it used to be. I still think. You, oh, definitely. I think you're going to have to go six and two to win to win the coastal. Okay. I, I really do believe that. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to have to I'm going to stick with the field over Virginia Tech. Okay. I, I think Georgia Tech could win could win the coastal. Um, uh, that's one of those weird teams. Every time I think Paul Johnson looks like he's about <laughs> ready to get run out of town, man, they come he back. was on the hot seat you know, last I mean, year. Wasn't I mean, you? everybody talks about us. You know, laying an egg against Georgia Tech last year. Well, you know how they finished that last year. I'm pretty year? sure they they, they, finished they went nine eight, and three, right? Not was they, it they nine wins? Nine and three in the regular season. Sorry, what are we like talking that. about? Uh, yeah, I think they they ended up winning uh, nine games in the regular season. So, it seemed like we laid an egg at the time, but but Tech really didn't. They lost to a good team. Yeah, they did. Yeah, sorry, but it was sorry. at home, and they should have won that game on paper. Yes. But yes, it was a good team. I got distracted here because I'm looking up the 2008 ACC football standings and. Um, in the Atlantic Atlantic Division, there were two five and three teams, and everybody else was four and four. So that's kind of weird. And the Coastal Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech are listed at five and three. Um, Miami four and four. You know, so that was a year where there was no team in the entire ACC that was better than five and three. That was a bad year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it definitely sounds like that it. was when everybody was talking about the ACC losing its BCS. So. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back, I can see why people would think that. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. It's been a, a great initial podcast for us. We'll definitely be bringing these back to you at least weekly and maybe even more often with some with some, some shorter podcasts as well uh, for, for Chris Coleman, for, for Will Stewart, for myself, Ricky the Blue. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.